book of Proverbs again this Sabbath afternoon. We've had quite a few studies in this poetical book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord, the study of Christ in the Old Testament, Christ in Proverbs. We've had a study of the Gospel in Proverbs, dealing with anger and other subjects as Proverbs affords topical studies of God's Word. This afternoon we look at one of the deadly, so-called seven deadly sins. Chapter 6. Chapter 6. Beginning with verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto Him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. The very first of these seven deadly sins is a proud look. My thoughts this afternoon are let us humble our pride. Pride is a vast subject in the book of Proverbs. There are references to pride in over half of the chapters. I've counted at least 16 chapters with references on pride. And if you include references to humility, being lowly, which is the contrast, the opposite, then certainly it's well over 20 chapters. In about two-thirds of the book, uh, you'll find references to pride. It's called a high look in chapter 6, verse 17. And also it's called a high look and a proud heart being sin in chapter 21 and verse 4. It should not be a surprise that the word pride in the Old Testament comes from a root meaning to be high, to be lifted up. And one of the words for pride has the idea of to swell. You think of someone who swells with liquid in his body or you think of, of, a, um, of a fruit that might swell if it's left on the vine and eventually burst. It's often an undetected sin because it's not so easily seen like someone stealing or someone who lies or who uh, assaults someone. Perhaps it's one of those so-called respectable sins that that it's ignored and even permitted even in the church and in the pulpit. That it's excused. It might be masqueraded as boldness or confidence. It's like the sin of worry. It's the last time we had a message about anxiety being sin. Or even the allowance of anger. Again, masqueraded perhaps as righteous indignation. 
it's not only a so-called respectable sin, it is an ancient sin of the devil. He said, I will ascend. It was his pride that caused him to rebel. There are many forms of pride, negatively, obviously speaking. There's personal pride, someone filled with self-importance. Over and over in Proverbs, it talks about the person wise in his own conceit. That's found quite a few times. And the word conceit means, it's the literal word eyes. Wise in his own eyes. So it's a sin that sometimes be seen in the eyes. The eyes being uh, bulged out. The eyes being uh, kind of looking upward and downward at people. There's a personal pride. There's a family pride. There's a doctrinal pride. There's a denominational pride. There's a status pride. There's a fool's pride. There's a political and a national pride. Now, I understand there's a humble, positive sense of patriotism, the sense of accomplishment, the sense of belonging, the realization of a privilege, the knowledge of of the truth, the assurance of salvation, There can be a humility involved in those, but it can certainly spill over into, again, national, political, personal, even ecclesiastical, and even doctrinal pride. We have the doctrine, so to speak. There is a a pride that, that certainly Calvinists and Arminians can both exercise. Proverbs seems to to say that there, it's a description of the age. Look at chapter 30 in verse 3. It says, 30 in verse 13, There is a generation, oh how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. It's a description of pride. It's saying there's, there's a generation that's full of pride. Now, it gives four descriptions of, perhaps we would even say, the descriptions of our generation. The first one is, is uh, the, the description of someone that is, uh, has no respect for parents. Verse 11, there's a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. Is that not a description of this generation? No respect for parents. Secondly, self-righteous. There's a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Thirdly, there's a generation who all lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. So it's a generation that's proud. And the fourth one is a generation, describes a generation that takes advantage of the weak whose teeth are as swords, verse 14, and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. And do these four describe our generation? No respect for authority, self-righteous, proud, and taking advantage of the weak and the lowly. These are four generations, in not four different generations, but four descriptions of a generation and certainly it is currently describing ours. Pride in the soul is someone having self-importance. So it's a breach of the first 
The first uh, division of God's commandments, pride deifies self. Pride is the deification of ego. In the second table of the law, certainly pride breaches the sixth commandment. Pride lifts up self and demotes others. Like the Pharisee, I thank thee that I'm not like this publican, that I'm not like other men. I, 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 as we read in that description. This is a a message to remind us to humble our pride. How often can we even be so deceived to be to not to be proud, to be humble? There's, the first mention of pride is really when whenever you you see humility, it is certainly by contrast a mention of pride. Well, in chapter three is the first mention of the pride humility contrast in Proverbs. You have several verses that will, that will say uh, something about being proud and then verses being humble. Well, in chapter 3 of Proverbs, it really describes a believer. It says in verse 34, Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. Doesn't that sound very close to he giveth more grace? Where sin abounded, God's uh, God's grace did much more abound. God's gift. But see the contrast at the end of chapter 3. You have the contrast of froward and righteous in verse 32. The contrast of wicked and just, 33. The contrast of wise and fool, 35. And the contrast of scorner and lowly. And Proud and scorning go together. In Proverbs 21-24, it says, Proud and haughty scorner is his name who dealeth in proud wrath. And so, someone who's proud is normally going to be someone that scorns others, looks down at others, and is always finding fault in others, and we don't see fault in ourselves. And so, in this text, it's saying that the believer and the lowly person are synonymous. He giveth grace to the lowly. He doesn't give grace, as it were, to the proud. So the lowly one is the justified one in God's eyes, like the, the, the publican that wouldn't lift up his eyes to heaven. And humility is Christ-like. Remember, Jesus said that he's meek and lowly of heart. Pro, or, or Isaiah prophesies, he shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. In other words, he's, this, the Messiah is going to be a humble, unassuming kind of person. That's the manner of Jesus. He's not going to come on the scene arrogantly and, and trumpeting his self-importance. God says, my servant, mine elect. Eleven times in Proverbs we find... Something abomination to the Lord. The word abomination means devoted to the Lord for destruction. Eleven times in Proverbs, it tells us God's attitude toward particular character and content, conduct. Twice, what's abomination to the Lord are those who are, have devious actions. They're froward. Twice or three, three times, those who steal about false balances. 
Once hypocritical false religion, the sacrifice of the wicked is abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Twice evil actions, those who condemn the just and those who justify the wicked are abomination to the Lord. Once evil thoughts or plans, once lying, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. And then chapter 16 and verse 5, pride is abomination to the Lord. And I have to remember, if I am proud, I am committing a sin that is detestable to God. Verse 5, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And so we can't say that only unbelievers commit the sin of pride, right? Because believers can be lifted up with pride. David was lifted up with pride in stealing someone's wife. And, and uh, Peter was lifted up with pride in, in boasting that he would be more faithful than the other disciples. It is a sin that we can commit. And is it not true that the believer can commit just about every sin except the sin of, of uh blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It's a massive subject. I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish today. And um, I don't want to rush something like this because it is so important. So Proverbs, as it deals with the contrast between pride and humility, will prohibit pride, but will, will uh, uh, promote humility. But humility is found in in a lot fewer verses than pride because pride is so prevalent and, and humility is so rare even among God's people. And you and I should take the challenge of being humble people. Genuinely humble, not fake humility. We can, all, can we not all fake humility? Can we all not fake uh, that we are not jealous of others? We may not, we may, they may not be seen in our countenance. In Proverbs, it tells us that pride and egotism are is known by attitude, appearance, actions, and reactions. So there are some some tests tests of pride. Sometimes it's found in the very appearance of people, and therefore you have the the proud look, literally the proud eyes. That is high eyes. Have you ever seen someone they, they, you're you're so below them they can't see you. Just you can see it in their countenance. You can see it in their conduct. Um, I'm thinking of a particular person that was visiting. I was taking an economics class at West Virginia University, and we were having a special speaker that was apparently very um, wealthy and very successful in his business endeavors but it was it was almost it was just so clear the man came i've never seen so much jewelry on a man in my life almost every finger had a ring or some kind of jewelry he had he, he was flashing with jewelry and he was just spouting off how successful he was in this and that and the other endeavor i missed i missed what his teaching was because i was so um, enamored by all the, the wealth hanging from this man. And, but you could see it, his eyes were bulging. It's, you, I don't know if you've ever been in the presence of someone that is just filthy, wealthy, uh, that they just, they're just 
they're just suspended from from the heavens, as it were. They're suspended above earth. But that was an obvious thing to me that the man just was so caught up in his self-importance and his success. It was in the very appearance. But the Proverbs tells about a proud look or a high look, chapter 21, verse 4. Both proud and high are the same Hebrew words. And the word look are simply the word, the word eyes. So, uh, proud eyes or on the other side, the high eyes. You, have, you can often see it in the very face or in the eyes of people. And remember the four times it says someone is wise in their own conceit. And that's, the, again, the word wise in their own eyes. Chapter 26, 5. Um, chapter two, matter of fact, three times in 26. If you just turn there for a minute. We find someone who's, who's uh, wise in his own eyes. 26, 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Verse 12. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit, or wise in his own eyes? There's more hope of a fool than of him. So even a fool has hope versus a man that's wise in his own eyes. And then verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. So it actually gives us three types of proud people that you can recognize, or may we say three categories that we need to be warned about where we can be tempted to be proud. You can, you can see love in someone's eyes sometimes, and you can see lust in someone's eyes, and the Bible says you can see pride in someone's eyes. You can almost uh, see the, the eyes of the Lord Jesus, how they must have been just so humble and so caring and so uh, observant of others. And there's just something special about humble people. And if you can see pride in someone's eyes, you can certainly see someone's humility in their eyes at times. But there are certain groups in Proverbs that are warned, or may I say, these are groups spelled out for their pride. And obviously a warning to us that if we, if, if we happen to be close to those kinds of groups, that we can be wary of the sin of pride. In chapter 10 and verse 15 and 18 11, it says, The rich man's wealth is his strong city and a high wall in his own conceit, in his own eyes. So especially the wealthy should be really wary of the sin of pride. Because what it is, is that um, materialism can be a mirage for safety, security. They've got, you know, I've got so much money in the bank. Nothing, you know, if I get sick, i got money. If I... If I my car breaks down. It's just everything is, is answered by money, by materialism, by wealth. And we all know that, that wealth can, like an eagle, fly away like wings. And, and obviously, when a person comes time to die, what shall his money do for him then? But we have to be so careful but it, it's contrasted in chapter 18. If a rich man's wealth is his strong city, isn't it interesting how the verse right before that, do you see that? What's the worst, 
verse before that. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. He that runneth into it is safe. But to the rich, to the wealthy man, his tower is not the Lord. His tower is his wealth. And so what a contrast that we're trusting in the God who cannot be thwarted. He cannot be dethroned. He's real. He's, we're rich in Christ. We're rich in God, as Jesus said. Be rich toward God. But it says in chapter 17, verse 19, He exalteth His gate. That's an interesting statement. The word gate is door. I think the idiom here is saying that um, that the wealthy, uh, they show off their ornate entryway. I think that's the idea. They exalt their gate. And sometimes people can can really uh, what's, what's the word? They can they can uh, make a real ornate entryway to, to show how to, to show off their wealth. I mean, it's certainly is sometimes it's, people's entryways are beautiful. They have a gate, they have a sidewalk, or maybe they have a very ornate doorway. I'm not saying anything negatively per se about ornate doorways or, or, or ornate entryways. But the proverb here is saying they exalt their gate. By their very entryway, they want people to know that they're wealthy and they're, they're, uh, they're, they're you know, in a better position than, than others. But wealth cannot just mean riches, but wealth of knowledge or wealth of fame or wealth of power or wealth of position or, or a wealthy name, as it were, uh, can, can be a source of pride. We have to be careful. What does the Bible say? If, well, if, if riches increase, what? Do not set your heart upon them. It's a warning. If God would entrust any of us with wealth, do not set your heart on them. There are some people that can handle wealth humbly. We know of some in the Bible. Abraham was a humble man. Job was a humble man. And yet, they can be entrusted with wealth, but there are others where wealth will destroy them. They will become arrogant and antagonistic toward God. So the wealthy should be wary of pride. The second is the wordy I, I mentioned. Chapter 14 and verse 3 says, "...in the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise shall preserve them." Um, the word rod is only used one other time in Isaiah 11.1 1, where the rod of Jesse, the branch, it's a branch or shoot of a tree. The idea can be at least one of two things or perhaps others, but a haughty spirit grows out of foolish words. A haughty spirit, once someone begins to speak uh, you know, a prof- profusely and uh, flowing words is someone that becomes very wordy. What's the word? Someone that is is uh, uh, just someone that's a talkative person. You know, like Christians talkative. And pride can begin to grow when, pers- when a person just likes to talk and he's talking and talking and talking and pride can grow. Or it has the idea of a fool, fool's pride that becomes a rod in his mouth to lash not at others, but it says here it, it, it lash, actually lashes him. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride. It's actually lashing him. But in some senses, 
it certainly is a case where the proud fool will uh, lash out at others. So when when we are talkative, it's 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 we're in danger of, of crossing that line of being proud and not humble. A humble person is usually someone that that is careful with his words. I mean, he doesn't talk much, but what he does have to say, we can count on being very important. A fool is a third category. Answer a fool. Isn't it interesting? They're not, they're not um, contradictions, but side by side, we have two statements that seem contradictory. Proverbs 26 and verses 4 and 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be wise, I'm sorry, lest thou also be like unto him. But then it says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit or his own eyes. So in one case, we just let them talk and just ignore them or walk away from them and they'll be known for being um, fools and if you don't join with them, that you'll, you'll be shown as being wise. But then there's another case, and I think it's probably showing our need to evangelize a fool, that there's a time where we need to rebuke a fool um, as it says here, answer a fool according to his folly. We're trying to save him from the pride of his eyes. We're trying to reach his soul. We're trying to deliver the soul who has a false sense of self-worth because it says here that he's wise in his own eyes. So, there's a time to just let the fool talk and walk away from him and not be associated with him. But then there's another time where we have to see that that the man or the woman needs to be saved and just have that kind of discernment whether I should speak or not to speak and we certainly have the Holy Spirit to help us. The self-righteous is uh, a place to be where we're in danger. Look at chapter 20 and verse 6. 20 verse 6. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness but a faithful man who can find. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. You see, that person is someone who's, who's overconfident about himself. The word goodness has the idea of loyalty and reliability. In other words, many trumpet aloud that they're dependable people, but when crisis comes, it proves if their boast is a hollow boast. There's one, obviously, that rises to the top. Who is it that said, Though all men deny thee, I will not deny thee. He proclaimed his own loyalty. He said that he would be faithful when everyone else wasn't. And the Bible says, Is that a bee? Go sting one of your own people. He's been crawling around my own my water and I was hoping he'd go inside and get a drink and then I could just cover it and let him loose later. But many trumpet aloud their own dependability, like Peter. And uh, notice the rhetorical question, but a faithful man who can find. Rare are the people that don't trumpet their own importance. They're just quietly serving the Lord. And they don't care whether they're recognized or not. 
Remember Psalm 12, the lament? The faithful fail from among the children of men. Lord, what is it? What is this prayer? It's worth reading. Psalm, Psalm 12. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. It's so easy to want to trumpet our own importance and our own so-called loyalty. But crisis will prove our, our, our boast, whether it be true or false. We ought not to boast if we are loyal people. Loyal people will not boast. They'll just be loyal. They just want the Lord to be honored. And uh, isn't it so true that a truly humble person is not going to complain when others get the applause or get the uh, attention or maybe get their promotion that the humble person probably deserves? I heard of a, a situation where a particular woman was approached the very same day by two men to ask for uh, her hand in marriage. Exactly in the same day, Ian was telling me earlier that he knew of a, well, this is a different situation, I'll, I'll mention that too, but um, two men approached this woman at different times of the day asking her to marry her. Can you imagine the challenge of that poor woman? I'm, I was thinking or hoping that, that when he was giving the story that she chose the third one. But she didn't. She chose one of those two men. And you'd have thought that that second man left out would have been furious. But guess what? He was the best man for that wedding. They were friends. And when she chose the other man, he was happy. Wasn't it like John the Baptist? Can you see those people saying, John, all these people are going after someone else. They're going after Jesus of Nazareth. You've got to do something about this. Well, what did John say? He must increase, I must decrease. The, the friend of the bridegroom rejoices at the bridegroom's voice. That that man could be a best man for his friend who was marrying the woman that he desired. Talk about a humble, unassuming kind of person. The other situation that, I, that, I came, that came to light, that this one man was available to be a preacher and two different churches the very same day voted for him to be their minister. Now, I didn't, I didn't ask about further about the situation. One of those churches was the man felt led to preach to become their minister. The other question is, how did that other church respond? Were they there to rejoice, the voice of the bridegroom, to rejoice that, that, that someone else, that, that that man had taken some other church? Again, we're, we're challenged in these kind of crises, aren't we? Whether we're really humble, whether we're proud people or jealous people. That's just the way it is, isn't it? So if we find that jealousy and envy and, and bitterness are, are our sins, then we can, we can say conclusively that we're proud people. We're, we're inflated with our own importance and our own desire. And again, another situation. What if someone's given the promi, promi, promotion above us? Someone is given a, 
a, a raise and we aren't. Someone else is given the job above us. Are we able to say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can we fall on our face and say, Oh God, I feel jealousy welling up with me, but please, please cut it off. Please fill my heart with gratitude and praise for Your name. For You have something for me, and, you, and I praise You for blessing that person with what I thought I would have received. The Bible warns us if we're opinionated people. Chapter 26 and verse 12. Seest thou a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope of a fool than of him. The idea there is again as someone who's, who's opinionated. He's worldly wise. Self-importance. He's not subjected to Scripture. He's not willing to listen to both sides of an argument. The Bible says there's even hope for a fool versus a hope for a self-inflated person. A sluggard is warned. Chapter 26, verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit, his own eyes, than seven men that can render a reason. That's an interesting proverb, isn't it? 26.16 The number seven obviously speaks of completeness. In other words, the united judgment of, of godly people is scorned by the sluggard. He justifies his actions or his lack of actions. He has many discerning reasons why he should work, and he has every reason to think that he shouldn't. And especially in our day with the enabling government that we have. Why should I work when I have a paycheck coming every month? Because we fear God? Because He made us people to work for His name? You know the people that are perpetual students. They've taken loan after loan after loan after loan after loan out. Because they're not, well, they're not intending to pay for it. And now, this administration says we'll pay for it. Just, we'll, we'll forgive the debts. And every payroll has the loafer on it. Let us not be the loafer on the payroll. So the, dis, the slugger dislikes any form of work and the very thought of exertion wearies him. It's the sarcasm of that proverb. The delusion is impossible to overcome, we're told. It's impossible to reverse the delusion that he has of being a sluggard. God help us to confess and forsake if we have the sin of laziness. May God help us to be diligent in His kingdom. Boasting is another evidence or an effect, we might say, of, of pride. Every man boasts his own goodness, proclaims his own goodness. If someone boasts, it's an evidence of pride. Wrath is an evidence of pride. Proud and haughty scorner is his name who dealeth in proud wrath. Literally, the wrath of pride. Pride will always, eventually, if it continues, show itself in being wrathful, angry, unrighteous indignation. Because the person is not getting his way. He's being humbled in a situation and it's very uncomfortable for a proud person to be humbled. So wrath is an evidence of pride. Is that one of our pet sins that we become enraged when we don't get our own way? We lash out, we scream, or we call people names. We make people uncomfortable. The scorner is a proud person. It's a different idea than wrath. Proud and haughty scorner is his name. 
who dealeth in proud wrath. It's the same word of Proverbs 1. We don't sit with a scorner. A scorner in chapter 13 of Proverbs is unrebukable. It's an abomination. He's an abomination to men, chapter 24. Judgments are prepared for scorners, chapter 19. So a scorner is someone that will lash out at those who correct them. But the humble person, chapter 6 and verse 3, will correct his error. And that's a question that's a challenge to us. If someone tells us something that's disagreeable to our opinion, are we willing to consider the other side of the issue? Are we willing to change our opinion? Are we willing to be corrected to admit that someone else's idea is better than ours? Ahithophel couldn't stand that, could he? He went out and hung himself because he was offended that his self-importance was crossed. Vain confidence, even before God, is a sign of pride. Chapter 16 and verse 5, we read, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And notice the rest of it. Though hand join in hand, they shall all be unpunished. That's, that's an expression of vain overconfidence. In other words, how can numbers win? If we have enough of us, we'll even overcome God. Yet the Lord says, Though hand join in hand, they shall not go unpunished. And so often we think because we're in the majority that there's no way to be over, to overcome the majority. And yet we have how many scenes in the Bible that the minority won? Like the stone in the sling. Like Elisha and his servant surrounded with all those troops. And yet, who won? The Israelites were surrounded with a million plus army of Africans. And yet the Lord defeated those who stood up against His people. The Bible says that those who are proud exploit others. Chapter 16 and verse 19 says, Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Now what does it mean to divide the spoil of the proud? That is, the proud have spoiled those that were obviously weaker and, and, uh, and uh, more ignorant. They take advantage of others and they take advantage of the weak. Like it says in chapter 15 and verse 25, where we read, The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but He will establish the border of the widow. See how the widow is contrasted. She's one of the ones that are easily exploited. And proud people will exploit those that are weaker than they are. Just It's such a massive subject. You can know a proud person by their argumentation, their contention. Twice we read things like 13 verse 10, Only by pride cometh contention. And then in chapter 28 and 25, He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. And so you can know a proud person who stirs up arguments. They're, they're, they're always arguing if they don't get their way and the way of communication is not just normal conversation. They've got to argue. They've got to be vociferous. They've got to be uh, you know, forceful. 
in the way that it can't allow logic and scripture to just settle the issue. They've got to, it, it's, it's pride behind their contentious, argumentative spirit. Remember, the Lord said through Paul to the, the Philippians, do all things without murmurings and disputings. We don't have to dispute, we don't have to argue. Just be gentle. Just allow the truth to win the day. To be the, the arbiter in our conversations. Just like he said to the two Philippian women, Eodius uh, and Syntyche, you know, agree in the Lord. Let the fact that you're Christians step back. You don't have to have your way. You don't have to win the argument. Shake hands and say, we're both wrong for being argumentative. Shake hands and say, we're believers in the Lord and we need to set a good example. So if you want the carpet red, go ahead. I wanted it blue. So what? Let, it, let the issue settle. Or better, we both say, let it be a different color than the two that we wanted. Let the testimony of Christ be, prevail. Lord, help us not to be contentious. It's interesting when you look at the subject of those who are humble in very few verses. But again, like the person that doesn't speak very much, what he has to say is huge. And in a real sense, you could reverse everything I've just said, and it's a humble person. A humble person's not contentious. A humble person's not wrathful. A humble person doesn't boast, doesn't scorn, doesn't exploit others. A humble person is diligent, not sluggardly. He's not opinionated. A humble person is not self-righteous. He's not, he's not boasting in his wealth. A humble person hates pride, verse 13 of chapter 8. We're told... And obviously we would say the humble person hates pride first in himself. Chapter 8, verse 13, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way in the forward mouth do I hate. So the humble person has low eyes, what we, what we might say. He's down to earth. He esteems others better than himself. He doesn't allow jealousy to win the day when someone else is promoted above him. He hates pride. He accepts rebuke. Chapter 6, verse 3. Go humble thyself and make sure thy friend. It's, it's in the context of, of loans. The, the humble person will say, look, I've been burned. I need to get myself out of this unrighteous uh, debt situation that I'm in. Chapter 11, verse 2. The humble person is wise. The humble person fears the Lord who is the one who is really high. In chapter 29, verse 23 says the humble person is honorable. And the end of, of the lives of the proud and humble really reduces down to this. The proud, the end of the proud is destruction. Sarcastically, he will be brought low. Chapter 29, verse 23. Punishment is the end of the proud. He that exalteth his gate seeks destruction, hastens his end. Chapter 17, verse 19. But the humble honor is, is given to the humble. Chapter 15, 20, 33, and 29, 23. 
God gives grace to the humble. Chapter 3.34 Before honor is humility. He will be honored. Someone who's humble. In the way of those who are lowly, look at chapter 22 and verse 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord. See the combination. A humble person fears the Lord. But look at the the life and the end of the humble person. Riches and honor and life. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and then eventually what? Eternal life. Life eternal. Take your choice. The proud have been the the, uh, majority in this world. You can see the front pages full of strife tension, hatred, murder, arrogance, pride. God help us to be a people like Jesus that are unassuming. We don't raise our voice in the streets as it were. We, we're down to earth. We're humble. We want to see others blessed. God help us to be able to cultivate such a character before God that we esteem others better than ourselves. We look not on our own things, but on the things of others. Lord, help us to humble our pride before such a high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, who dwells in the high and the holy place. With him also, it is of a humble and contrite heart.